Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus on the emotional connection more than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. What's up, feelers? And welcome to another Donut Pick episode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Patch, and with me being better than the gap is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. Hey, buddy. Hey, I don't know if that's actually accurate or not, though. Are you? Well, I'm going to hope that you're going to be better than the gap. I will be if Ryan Gosling comes and teaches me. Well, as long as you don't have a wallet that has Velcro, I'm going to be a happy camper. We're good there. Okay. <laughs> okay, so in February, we uh, we tasked our patrons with choosing a romantic comedy for us to talk about in honor of Valentine's Day. And by a runaway vote, Crazy Stupid Love came out on top. I definitely can't say I'm surprised. This movie has a ton going for it, and we're excited to give it the love it most certainly deserves. We also want to thank you guys for being patient. Uh, We know the last couple of months have been kind of crazy for us, and with people getting sick and having things taken out of their body, sometimes episodes just don't get recorded. So thank you for being patient with us, and (laughs) Aaron's giving me this weird look. Would you say that I had an out-of-body experience? You had something out of body. I don't know what it was. (laughs) We should talk sci-fi at some point about that. We should have done inner space the week that I got my appendix taken out. (laughs) Oh, man, don't put that in my head. That's going to be fun. Uh, (laughs) I'll send out a call to our Facebook group saying, we should do inner space at some point. There you go. Anyway, well, with that said, Aaron, why don't you go ahead and get us started? Uh, with your one more takeaway. And just as a reminder, spoilers abound in every one of our episodes. So please go watch this movie for the sake of just pure enjoyment, but also to join in the discussion or at least a good listening of this discussion. So anyway, Aaron, what what about your one word takeaway and your initial thoughts? Okay, well, a little background. I had seen this film previously when it first came out, and I remember enjoying it. I was looking back at my letterbox reading of it uh, when I first, when this came up, when it won the poll, and I found out that I had given it three stars. I thought, okay, that's cool. I enjoyed it. I remember the parts with Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone and the abs. That's basically all I could remember. Well, I then watched it again for the podcast, the first time we were going to cover it back in February, and I really enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. I, I reacted to it on an emotional level. And I felt like it was more of like a four-star movie to me. It just didn't quite reach greatness, but it was really, really good. This most recent watch happened a few days ago. Uh, In preparation for for this, I wanted to refresh myself on it again. And it is now a five-star movie for me. So I'm going to tell you right up front that I have, over the course of this last two months watching it twice, I've fallen in love with this film. And the main reason is my one word takeaway. And it's going to inform a lot of my comments during our discussion. And I wanted to make sure the listeners knew that's where I was coming from. And that is, my word is personal. And the reason for that is, I feel like I can see myself in almost every single one of these characters at some point in my life. I feel like I've been Cal. You know, I've I've, I've been every single one of them along the way. And mostly it's my relation to Cal um, and his current situation, this divorce that is, that is happening upon him, this personal situation that he's dealing with. It, it feels like such a realistic portrayal of marital problems and how 
taking a marriage for granted and becoming complacent can slowly snowball and lead to growing apart. And I, I just really at times in my life have related to the way that Cal stumbles through half of this movie in a haze, feeling like he's lost his identity. He is exactly like I am. He's completely too open. He just tells everybody everything, which is a thing that I always do. Um, I can't tell you how many dates I went on after my divorce where I would just start talking about my ex-wife or my kids. <laughs> like that, I do that thing, right? And I drink fruity drinks. So I feel like we have a lot in common. Um, I, you know, I got into a conversation on film Twitter the other night and it was about naming movies. We were supposed to list movies that could always turn our frown upside down. And what I believe is that this movie has now become one of those films for me, even though I get emotional when I watch it. And sometimes I cry. My overall feeling is of joy when I come out of it. And I think it is just an underrated, absolute knockout smash. It is maybe one of the most perfect comedies for me ever made. So yeah, that's my reaction. (laughs) And it's a very genuine reaction from our friendship. I I know that all that is completely true. And the first time I saw this, I want to say it was a couple of years ago because it came up in our, what we've been up to section. I remember, um, actually I'd seen it before and I rewatched it when I found out that the creator of this movie was, putting together a new television drama. Some of you guys may have heard of it. This is us. I don't know. It's that's right. Yeah. And having that experience of crazy, stupid love and kind of anticipating that kind of style and, and tone in a television series has not disappointed. I mean, that it's just, it's perfect. Um, And I'm excited about his new movie coming out. I think later this fall, it's going to be kind of along the same lines of just good drama, but the word that I pulled away from this, this last viewing was hope. And I watch a movie like this multiple times to both revisit and understand what it means to hope for something. It's, it's that hope and honesty that drives the plot and the ambitions of our characters. They're longing for something. And this wow factor comes from the fact that I laugh so much each time I watch it. I mean, this is a very approachable movie. It's a very, it's a movie that you can just enjoy for the sake of entertainment and enjoy for the sake of learning something. I mean, there's just a lot to it and you don't really kind of pick that up when you hear about it. It's like, Oh, crazy, stupid love, Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone. That's probably going to be some good chemistry there. Oh, Steve Carell. He's a funny guy. Yeah, I'll try that. Oh, and yeah, Photoshopped abs. That's a really funny line. Those are just probably the highlights and very minimal highlights of why this movie is so fantastic. I mean, just taking the opening two scenes that introduce our four main characters. It's phenomenal. I mean, absolutely just, okay, we're in it. You've got Steve Carell jumping out of a car. You've got Ryan Gosling hitting on Emma Stone with potential high school pickup lines. It's just fantastic. And so I love that at the heart of this is it brings us more than just this fun entertainment. There's just so much about it that you can take away on rewatch after rewatch after rewatch. And like you, Aaron, it just makes me feel happy. I feel happy after watching it. I, I want to share it with people that are kind of looking for something to just not really get, you know, mindless entertainment, but for something that just, I want to feel good. Like, all right, pop that in because it's really, really good. Absolutely. And, you know, I was, I don't normally like to quote other people 
But when I was reading Ebert's review for this film, it's a habit I've kind of gotten into recently. I like to go back and see what he has said about movies. More often than not, we end up lining up on our thoughts. And of course, he said things pretty much the best way you could ever say them. And he expressed himself in a way that I feel like fits what I would want to say. So I'm just going to read some of something he said. He said, Crazy Stupid Love is a sweet romantic comedy about good-hearted people. That's key. It's what you're talking about. Good-hearted people. Imagine that. No snark. No raunch. It has a lot of cynicism, but that's employed only to be corrected. Nobody here wishes anybody ill. And the movie comes out four square in favor of marriage. Yes, the characters commit adultery, but they learn to their relief that they were mistaken. Patrick, this movie doesn't exist in 2018. I, I don't, this movie, this type of movie, this type of story is so far removed. It is so rare. It's a mm -hmm. unicorn out there. And especially really, yeah. in this genre of comedy where I hardly even go see comedies that are screening for press anymore because they're all sexualized raunch. Even mm. if they have some emotion behind them, they have to get that in. I was watching Rampage the other night. It had to squeeze in some sex jokes. Like, why? Why do I need sex jokes from a giant white ape and his friend, The Rock? Like, it's <laughs> unnecessary and it makes, it makes no sense, right? It's completely out of place. But it, it's like a feeling that Hollywood has to put that in there. And so this one is just so refreshing to not deal with that. And it, like like Hebert said, to come out in favor of marriage, it makes me so happy. And I think it speaks to that word that you came away with, hope. Yeah. And the thing is, is I look at Crazy Stupid Love and you and I have had these conversations online and offline about how we have these movies that mean something to us, like either on an emotional level or a deep theological level or a cerebral sci-fi level. There are quote important movies out there. There are movies that make us think. And, and I think the consensus with people, when, when we go see movies, especially if we're trying to think from a critical point of view, we tend to categorize movies in, in some way, shape or form. And then you have the, the raunch comedies and like, Oh yeah, that's just popcorn feel. That's just, I'm going to go kind of turn my brain off for a couple hours and laugh, you know, laugh, whatever. And to me, I don't like that. I don't, well, one, I don't really care for the raunch comedy. I, I, no, I don't care for, I don't like them at all. Like, let's just get it out there. But one of the reasons why, besides just my personal taste, is the fact that it's not necessary to make me laugh. There's a lot of comedy for me personally. And I'm not speaking for anybody else but myself, but there's a lot of comedy out there that has the ability to tell a story to make me laugh and to make me feel like at the end of it, I got a full gamut of entertainment that I didn't need one thing to make things better. Uh, when we talk about intertextuality, I didn't need a reference to something else to enjoy a new uh, updated version of, uh, of a popular property like Star Wars. I, I, I like the idea that something doesn't, a story doesn't rely on a trope. It doesn't rely on one thing or another thing to help enhance its entertainment value that the storytellers, the creative teams behind movies like this can trust us as an audience to just enjoy the story that they're telling with the comedy or with the drama or with, with, with whatever that they're trying to employ. Crazy Stupid Love, I think, is probably one of the most perfect combinations of all that because we get that laughter, but we get, we get that laughter with sincerity and very real life stuff because all these things that we see in the movie with Cal 
and his family and every one of these characters you mentioned we can all relate to at least one or two, maybe all of these characters in some way, shape, or form, regardless of where our lives have come from. And they help inform who we are. They help in a lot of ways. I think they have the ability to help us resolve or at least handle kind of our, our life situations, either at the time or what we've been through. And when you can couple that or stir it up with laughs and jokes, it really helps to kind of digest the big themes that take place in a movie like this. And it's what makes the movie itself just kind of something you want to hand to somebody and say, you really need to experience this because it's just that good. I absolutely agree. And I'm really thankful that our donors chose this um, and that you pushed for it because I didn't remember it that fondly. And I would have missed out on that experience had I not revisited this um, and been able to talk about it. I think I would have, never realized that I was missing out on, you know, one of my favorite comedies ever. <laughs> and uh, I'm so grateful that we are able to to do that. Um, can we start, I guess, by talking about like the divorce separation plot line? Sure. Yeah. And then, and maybe we'll just try and somewhat separate them. We can talk about Cal and then we can talk about Jacob, but um, I love that moment you mentioned where he jumps out of the car. It, it, it felt to me so realistic and natural. It, it actually feels slightly more, understandable even than when Lady Bird does it in her film and her mom is just talking and she doesn't want to hear it and she jumps out of the car. This made perfect sense to me uh, because I, again, I've been there where you don't want to hear it. Um, Emily is, is trying to explain and confess her affair. Like she has guilt and she wants to process her guilt by speaking truth and in getting it out. Right. That's how she kind of, has to do, she's it's eating her up inside but he doesn't want to hear it he, he doesn't want to know anymore he just wants it to stop he wants to pretend it doesn't exist and have it go away and so he he dives out of that car and man that, that was just it was such a powerful moment to me like right off the bat and it's funny because it's so hilarious it's hilarious and true and the comment that he makes afterwards like once they they drive up to their house she just continues to talk and he says stop look, I'll sign the papers. I'll leave the house. Just whatever. Just stop talking. And I don't know that I've ever heard a more honest response to, well, first of all, I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen a conversation about someone confessing their adultery to their spouse in such a blunt way. <laughs> like when you begin the conversation with, I slept with somebody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this is who he is and this is what he does. Yeah. It was and very, and then she's like, and then, yeah, it really is matter of fact. And then she goes, she goes, you're not talking this, you know how that makes me want to talk more. <laughs> and of course that leads to the, uh, the, the exit from the car. But I think that rawness kind of gives us as human beings, or at least as an audience, a chance to say, okay, I have permission to kind of feel that way, to be honest about those feelings. Because so many times in movies, I think we, we see a kind of tiptoeing around those types of conversations for the sake of drama and what crazy stupid love does, especially in these opening scenes is it tells us, look, we're just going to get right to the point. And that's followed up by the conversation between Jacob and Hannah. You know, you got Jacob, Ryan Gosling looking awesome, you know, looking at Hannah, who's talking about how she want, you know, if she could, if she could, uh, have someone's baby, it would be, uh, was it Conan O'Brien? Is that yeah. right? Yeah, it was Conan. And her friend <laughs> rightfully was pushing back on that. Yeah. And the conversation between him and her initially, where he starts hitting on her, it's just so right to the point. He goes, you know, 
you, you know, you say he's sexy. I, I think she, I think Han, your friend Hannah's sexy, and she's like, "Oh my gosh!" And I'm going, "Oh my gosh!" Did you really say that? And so I'm watching this through her eyes, going, "Did he really just say that?" And I, I've got to believe that their chemistry, specifically, there had to be some ad libs there, maybe not. I don't know, but it just felt so to the point that you, you're not beating around the bush. And I love the fact that the movie just is very much unapologetic about that tone. It is. And the wonderful thing I think about both of these couples, Cal and Emily, I mean, and the film's cast perfectly, but all the, all the way across the board, I, I can't find a single performance in this that I would replace. I think, I think it's wonderful, but Cal and Emily, and then what's it, what is it? It's Jacob and why am I blanking on Hannah? Hannah. Yeah. Um, both of them have those fun kind of moments, but there's so much sincerity in these couples. We have the scene where, Emily calls Cal for help with the pilot light oh, later, gosh, I love later that in scene. the film, right? And, and if we scene. were doing connecting points, these are some of the scenes that actually would be contenders for this for me. And he's actually standing outside the house in the bushes, watching her through the window and he's walking her through it. And it, it's just so moving to me because they, they both are, con- they're so close and they're so far apart. They're, they're struggling with this distance they've created between them. But, you know, emotionally speaking and, spiritually speaking speaking they're still connected yes shows so much it really does and it shows that they want this to work they want the reconciliation they want it but they're fighting because they feel like they can't yes and and that's that's it's it's this duality that is played out so perfectly with this couple because they're fighting for something that they don't know if they have hope for it's like they want each other but they can't get past the fact that there's someone almost quite literally between the two of them. Um, I can't remember. I can't remember his name either. Uh, David Linhagen. David Linhagen. Yes. The David Linhagen's of, of our lives. Six and degrees of Kevin Bacon. Six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Oh my gosh. Kevin freaking Bacon, man. <laughs> what are you doing? Right. So perfect though. I know like, it is. Right. You I find mean, out it's Kevin Bacon. You're just like, Oh, oh sleep. Of him. course it's Kevin Bacon. Oh, Kevin Bacon. Yeah. You would be, you wouldn't it. Oh, but you just got, you've got this desire to want things to work out. But the obvious fact is there is a roadblock and it's something that we don't know if they can get over. In fact, I'm not quite sure at the end of the movie, if we get that resolution, I think we get that hope, but I think we, I, we don't necessarily get a resolution. Like we don't see them together, like reconciling. We do see them talking and being friendly. And so there's the hope of that, but I kind of like that. I kind of like that it leaves it open-ended because it tells us that there's still a lot of work to be done, that the, the story doesn't have to end happily. It doesn't have to end with everything wrapped up. It ends with a step forward. Yeah. And it shows us steps along the way, because even though it ends up being a funny scene and, and it, it drives the plot forward by introducing Emily to a mistress the moment where they're standing outside Robbie's teacher's door at the parent teacher conference and they're on opposite sides of the door in chairs. I love the framing of this scene. And it's another one of those sincerity moments where they're having a conversation. And again, I relate. I have had that, you know, no matter how angry we are at each other, no matter what's going on when you're apart like that, I know what it feels like to have that connective moment again, especially over the kids where now you're talking like adults and it's, and it's a little awkward and you're trying to figure out how to say things, 
without saying things and you're not, you don't want to let it be known that you miss each other at all, but it's just, it's a really weird place. And this movie captures it so perfectly. Yeah. There's a lot of pride there that I think they're trying to fight through Great in, that, point, particular, yeah. in that, that particular scene, because they don't want to let their guard down. I mean, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of armor that's been put up uh, throughout the film, uh, beginning with that, that opening scene. And I think for different reasons, they don't want to, to let each other get into the vulnerability of, of one another. And rightly so. I, I think with my relationship with my wife, when we're, when we're at odds and we have tension, those walls go up. And I'm like, I don't want to show you that a hug from you will help make things a little better. Like, I don't want to receive that because I'm ready to kind of go, you know, go five rounds with you so I can make my point. But the fact is she's my wife and a hug can go a long way to kind of softening that armor. And and we see a little bit of that with them. And I think that, that, that scene that you mentioned um, with the pilot light really kind of amplifies that, that that's when the armor can come down when they are both legitimately just lying to each other. I guess that's the weird thing is that they both, they feel like they're in this safe space with this, this phone call. And that's when they can feel like they're somewhat vulnerable by using the pilot light scene as a, as a mm-hmm. kind of a, as a, as a way to do that. Well, speaking of vulnerable, that's another one of those moments of sincerity that, that really struck me only. It was uh, Jacob and Hannah. I love their first night together. Um, uh, you know, it starts off hilarious with the whole ab conversation. Yeah. Um, which is one of the funniest lines in movie history, honestly. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I really, it really is. Like, I just, I can't get over it. Every time I see it, I just, it's perfect. But, you know, it ends with them just lying there talking all night long. And him asking her to ask him something personal, which is him offering vulnerability for himself. Like he wants that deeper connection that he never has with a woman. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and he wants to give himself, he wants to, he, he willingly is opening himself to her because he trusts her because she has earned it. And gosh, if it isn't just moving and sweet and it makes you want that kind of relationship. Yeah. That would be my connecting point hands down if we were doing this. And part of the reason why is because it's set up so, so well, because the first third of the movie is him going home with what, 20 different girls as part of this montage to kind of show what a, uh, what a Tomcat he is and just how easy it is for him to get girls and how he uses this, this ability to kind of give Cal a weird sense of confidence that ends up kind of backfiring him on him. But I love the fact that his night with Hannah that has, that starts with, a potential, you know, here's what I, I mean, he's almost like he's giving her the script. Like, this is what I do to get a woman in bed with me. He says, I'll do this and I'll do the dirty dancing thing. And it turns into not a night of sex, but a night of intimacy, which is a very different thing. Hugely different. And I love the fact that we get to, (laughs) going to sound weird, that we get to spend the night with them, that we get to see both of them, be completely vulnerable with each other, which is kind of an interesting comparison because you've got Jacob and Hannah who've never been together and they have this incredible connection with each other. And you contrast that with Cal and Emily who are tiptoeing around 
that desire to want to be intimate with each other because of, you know, because of their situation. And it's a really interesting kind of emotional contrast, a visual contrast, and it makes it really enjoyable to watch from an audience point of view, because you're really getting the full gamut of what maybe a new relationship looks like when two people are being honest with each other and what an old relationship looks like when two people are just not being honest or who haven't been honest with each other in so many years. And so you get a seasoned couple and all their issues and you get a new couple with their, uh, this, I don't know, this ease of trust. Um, and, and it's beautiful. It's a very, very beautiful thing. And I love how it starts off too with, her talking about him as the hot guy and he's he's sitting and she's standing it's one of my favorite moments in the whole movie and he's like jacob and you know like he points at himself and like kind of nods and and tells her like this is my name like i have a name i'm not just the hot guy like um which is hilarious because you know everything he is is this womanizer and it's it's kind of wild because we never hate him like we never in this film to me fully start to hold him accountable for his womanizing. I mean, clearly it's wrong. We're not in support of this. And even he knows it. And when Cal calls him on it, there's that great conversation between Cal and Jacob at the end where he says, I know, but this is my little girl. And he goes, I just, I know too much. I know too much. I know too much. I've Mm -hmm. seen too much. He's like, I believe you. I want to believe you, but I've seen too much. And I'm so glad you said that. Let me interrupt you. That's those are the exact lines that I think he could say to Emily. Like that's what he would say to Emily too. I know I trust you and I I get it, but I've seen too much. And it's just like, he could have been saying that to Emily and that would have been the nail in the coffin. Like we're done. And I'm so glad that he said it to Cal or not Cal, but uh, to Jacob. I don't know. I don't know if there was something really interesting about that set of lines where what if he were saying that to Emily, because those lines could have fit into their relationship and what they were dealing with. But instead he turns it to Jacob, a person who we have actually fallen in love with as an audience. And yes, we probably morally speaking, know what he's doing is wrong, but he's so charming and he's so sincere about it, which I don't know if you can be that way. That's kind of a weird thing to be sincere about being able to have the confidence to take any girl home with him. No, that's obviously not the case. But at the same time, his relationship with Cal as a result of that is kind of a good thing. We're kind of rooting for them. We're kind of rooting for the fact that Jacob, his mentoring of Cal is to boost his confidence. And maybe the womanizing is sort of a kind of a side note, like, Hey, that's okay mm-hmm. because we want Cal to, to be a man again. Well, I would say this couple things. One, having a teenage daughter, um, me putting myself in the shoes of, of Cal in the, in a position of trying to decide would I be able to forgive Jacob mm. and trust him? It would be very difficult, but it's also a step that Cal has to take kind of tied to what you were talking about with Emily, like him trusting Jacob, despite what he has seen of Jacob, but knowing Jacob's character is a precursor to him being able to now trust Emily knowing what he knows and being able to move forward. Right. Great point. He's got to forgive her despite what he's seen because he knows her character and he knows her heart and he does it with Jacob. And I think it makes him a lot more able to do it with his wife. And so, I mean, I admit I would have an incredible hard time with this. I think the other thing about Jacob's womanizing that makes it a little more palatable, if you will, is that it's a hundred percent honest 
He never lies. He never cheats about it. Like he's he's completely open about what he's doing. He's open with the women mm-hmm. and he's open with Cal and he never pretends. Like this is what I'm doing. I haven't met anybody that I want to settle down with. We never see him cheat. We never see him lie to a woman. It's there. It's always well known and very clear. Like you want to go home tonight? It's not. Hey, you, you know, let's have a relationship. It's very obvious. So, right. I think in a sense, it may not be a lifestyle that we approve of or support, but it's consenting. Consenting adults doing consenting things. And that's not what the movie's trying to teach us. It's not trying to teach us the moral lesson about what it means to womanize, at least not directly. It's at the very least, it's trying to use that in a way that says, okay, well, what if it was your kid? And I think that's probably one of the most interesting things about Crazy Stupid Love is that weird is that crazy twist at the end that I didn't see coming. And I'd actually forgotten about it until I rewatched this. I was like, oh, that's right. Hannah's his daughter. And of course, that challenges us as as an audience to be able to say, okay, now I've got to put myself in the shoes of a father, not just a husband or someone who's trying to get himself out there. And it adds another layer to these relationships. And that's something that's probably lost on a lot of romantic comedies is we get the formulaic, well, formula, the formula for, for these romantic comedy uh, stories. And I think what Crazy Stupid Love does is it, is it adds those other layers to the story that help support and at the same time challenge the perceptions of the audience through the characters themselves. I mean, take Cal's son and his infatuation with uh, with the babysitter. You know, he is by his own admission in love with her, and she's like, no, 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 no. Yet at the same time, she's basically in love with Cal, and so you have this young kid who's in love with an older woman and she's kind of pushing him away. And we think, yeah, that's kind of gross, especially, you know, how they introduce that. Um, You know, you get this adolescent and you get this, this older teenager, like, yeah, you wouldn't want that at all. But then you, a couple of scenes later, you find out that she's got the hots for Cal and you're like, well, that's even worse. And so now you're trying to think, okay, so I guess his relationship, his son's relationship with her and his infatuation with her, really isn't as bad as we might think when in, when compared to this other thing. And I think that's what Crazy Stupid Love does is it gives us comparisons all over the place with these different, these different pairs of people. And, um, and it's both challenging and entertaining at the same time. It is. And it's ironic, too, that that whole relationship with Robbie and Jessica happens because we do think it's gross at first. Um, but everyone in this movie kind of sees what they desire as justified and okay, at least in the beginning. And what I think that this does is, again, it's not unrealistic in, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you straight up. I remember Samantha when I was eight years old and I was, you know, in elementary school, I had Samantha who was a blonde cheerleader who was my babysitter. And I would have told you that I was in love with her. Absolutely. 150% truth. Like I thought she was the woman for my, of my dreams, you know? So this is a realistic scenario. And what it does is it, man, it gives us a vehicle for that conversation for where Cal and Robbie get to talk about it and get to have a discussion about what love is and how they approach it and work through their own things that are both going on simultaneously and, and grow from it. I mean, as much as 
the worst part of this movie, if there is one, the, the potential scene that everybody kind of groans about sometimes is the high school auditorium or whatever it is, not high school, but like, I guess it's like a middle school graduation where Robbie's the giving a speech and Cal gets up and interrupts it. It's kind of cliche, hmm. but yeah, but because of what he's saying and what that means to the story and to the, the character, the heart of the characters, I'd have no problem with it. And I really enjoy the direction it goes. And I, I don't think we would have that without these weird relationships. And then we also get the, the cool moment at the end of, I say the cool moment of a teenage girl giving naked pictures of herself to a, a younger teenage boy. <laughs> I would kill my daughter if she did that. But at the right. same point, it's really hard not to find that. It, it, it's normally just such a gross thing. It's so disgusting. But I don't know. In the context of this film, it it feels ridiculously sweet and meaningful because of what they've been through. Yeah. And that speech asks a question to us about the belief in soulmates. I know that there are a lot of movies out there, uh, a lot of stories that really kind of hinge their importance on soulmates. Uh, I remember watching, um, what was it? Uh, I guess it was uh, Goodwill Hunting with some friends of mine. And the next day, we, this is in college, we were in the the calf and someone came up and said, do you believe in soulmates? Cause that's kind of cool. I think that's kind of neat. And I wonder from your perspective, maybe not informed by the movie, but maybe as a general idea, does this movie support or deny the existence of soulmates? And how does that affect you as an audience, as a, as a, as a person, like where, where do you stand on that? So I guess I'm asking two questions. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a loaded personal question. Sorry. Um, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know if I want to answer that. Sorry first, so, first I'm going to read, first thing I want to do is I want to read actually Don Shanahan's lesson. Uh, Don Shanahan is a contributor of ours from every movie has a lesson and his review is phenomenal for this film. And I, I highly encourage everyone go read it, but a couple of his lessons stick out and I want to read one that he says, lesson number three for him was the debate on the existence of soulmates. And he says, from every naive believer in true love, every brokenhearted and dark cynic, and everyone else in between, people either believe in the idea of soulmates or dismiss it entirely. You either believe there is one person for everyone, or you believe there are just a lot of good situations and good fits to settle for. There is no middle ground. But what happens when a believer starts to doubt and a cynic finds the one? In Crazy Stupid Love, the story hinges on what happens to characters that do believe in soulmates, reacting to those who don't and vice versa. That's the beauty of it is they don't know. And they're, they're dealing with conflicting emotions that are challenging what they thought they believed in the first place. Yeah. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing to watch. And I say that with as much sincerity as I can, because it's kind of tragic. I mean, you have a guy like Cal who almost every chance he gets, whether he means to or not talks about, how he's been in love with his wife since high school. They were high school sweethearts. He's proud of that. He's proud of the fact that they've been together for so long. And the fact that they are now on the the verge of, of divorce completely shatters that idea that she may not be the one. Or if she is the one, what did I do to screw that up? And then you've got Jacob, on the other hand, who until he meets Hannah, is completely about the the one night stands granted consensual with every woman that apparently he meets. And then he's challenged with that one intimate night with her to think, well, maybe she is the one because, oh my goodness, 
I can't stop thinking about her. Is this what that feels like? And I love the fact that perceptions are challenged. We've talked about this on the show several times. When, when our perception as an audience is challenged or when the characters themselves go from one thing to another, that's what makes them rounded out. And I think that's the growth of both Cal and Jacob in this, in this comedy that was so surprising is you don't necessarily expect such a, a rounded out almost 180 from both of these guys that leads to a sense of wonder, you know, can we, can Cal love Emily? And if they ever got back together, is he, is he, was he now fully committed to the fact that, Oh yeah, she was my soulmate. We just had some bumpy ground or does he have a different vantage point of saying, I'm choosing to be with her in spite of that, in spite of everything. I think I'll answer your question and I'll say it like this. Um, I do not believe that there is a soulmate. I guess I would say I land on, I land on where Don Shanahan's second lesson in his crazy, stupid love lands, which is fighting for love. And I'm going to read this one too. Okay. Because this is what I believe and how I approach this. Pat Benatar was onto something when she says love is a battlefield. Absolutely. Winning the love of another is not easy. Devoting yourself to them and maintaining that love is even harder. The fight for love is a challenging roller coaster that is sometimes beautiful in its successes and other times ugly in its mistakes. Who are you willing to fight for in the name of love? What are you willing to fight for? To what lengths are you willing to fight? Knowing those answers about yourself is important, but following through with your actions, whether you win or lose that battle for love, is bigger. And that is what the characters do. That is what Robbie does, whether it's the awesomely hilarious Scarlet Letter scene or the, you know, the speech where at the end he still has to just proclaim his love for Jessica. Um, that is what Cal kind of ends up doing. It's what, you know, Jacob does when he throws away his entire lifestyle to be with Hannah. And so this is where I have, I have come to in my point of life to believe. I believe in fighting for love. So I think you choose your soulmate essentially. Um, and you make the effort to ensure that it remains that way. And it is a two-sided event where yeah. two people have to jointly choose every single day to continue doing that. And it requires oh. sacrifice. And you're, you're absolutely right. This movie gets it. This movie gets it. Mm-hmm. When my wife and I were going through our premarital counseling, one of the things that I remember clearly from from our pastors. He said, here's one thing you need to know. If you're looking for your soulmate, <laughs> when you get married, <laughs> that's your soulmate. <laughs> and what he meant by that was the choice you make to marry someone is the choice to be with that person for the rest of your life. And the commitment to fight for your marriage, fight for your spouse, fight for that uh, fidelity, fight for that intimacy is what defines your soulmate. And he would say, if you haven't found your soulmate by the time you got married, you have found your soulmate because that's who it is. You've chosen to marry this person. That person is now the one you are with. And I think that says a lot about the importance of marriage and how valuable it is. And crazy, stupid love what I, what I think I adore about it more than anything is the importance that it places on marriage. 
and that commitment to just be with someone, not just out of legal obligation. I mean, I don't think that's ever mentioned at all, but the fact that Cal and in a lot of ways, Emily articulate in kind of roundabout ways that it's worth it. It's worth communicating with each other just how much you are crazy, stupid, in love with each other through moments like conversations about a pilot light, um, through scenes where Cal is taking care of the of the yard. I, I love those scenes. I think that's so awesome. The fact that he's been, he's late, you know, he's trolling through the backyard, putting fertilizer out and and aerating the the lawn. He's doing things to make sure that his wife is cared for. I mean, that's a huge thing. I don't see that a lot in movies, even with relationships that are being portrayed as being fought for. That's just, that's just good husband wife stuff right there. And that's something that doesn't get articulated a lot on screen. So seeing that there is just really wonderful. It is. And, you know, I think another part of that is it leads into the, one of the most amazing scenes in movie history, in my opinion, which is that picnic, right? Where everybody comes together and the realizations start happening. And this is, this is them fighting for love in their various ways. One thing we didn't mention, cause it's not really a huge plot line, but I also enjoy the best friendship that they have with the other couple and how Jessica's parents and how they kind of are forced to take sides. That's very realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, so at this picnic, when everybody gets together and they're all kind of jointly coming to their realizations about who is who, and they're trying to process things like, wait a second, Jacob is Hannah's boyfriend. And, and you know, all of this is happening at once. And then boom, there he is, David Linhagen. David Linhagen. Everything changes. Jacob, dude, I mean, I am such, I'm telling you, I'm not... If if I was Ryan Gosling is an amazing man. <laughs> That's how I'm gonna put it. Okay. That's all I'm gonna say. He's an amazing man. And if he the way he is in this scene is so perfect because there's all this infighting and arguing, and then all of a sudden he says, You're David Lenhagen? And he just says Okay. And the way he says it, the way he drops his head down, he immediately starts to take off his ring and then bam, it's a hundred percent collective attack on David Lenhagen because he, mm-hmm. they, he caused all of this, right? Yeah. <laughs> and in essence, it's not all on him. It's on Emily too, but like, that's how they see it. And it's this joint coming together moment to go after him where, oh, I just, I adore this whole sequence so much. And, and it, it's them fighting for love. You know? Yeah. Well, and he represents that wedge. He represents that that conflict in in such a hilariously personified way. I mean, you're right. It's not just his fault, but really, the movie needed someone. It needed a scapegoat to create that that great hilarious moment to articulate visually what everybody was feeling. Like we got to fight for this. And David Linhagen is the both literal and figurative conflict that we need to resolve right now. And, uh, and it's perfect. It really, really is. So I want to end kind of by saying, is there a more perfect on-screen couple chemistry wise than Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone? And this is where I was going with, I'll take either one. Like at this point, I mean, these two are, perfection to me and i love that this movie in hindsight 
can I, I think I'm going to build this in a way when people start complaining to me again about La La Land's ending. I'm just going to be like, look, just go watch Crazy Stupid Love, okay? Because then you get your Sebastian and me a little fantasy where they end up together. You can just like both, okay? <laughs> so you have them together, be happy. But honestly, I, I could watch these two together all day long. I mean, it, it, is, it is absolute effortless to me the way that they interact with each other. Well, I would say we should do a top five, but I know what your number one is going to be. So I guess we can just get rid of that. But I agree. I mean, I definitely agree. They are up there and may be my number one just because they feel like an, they feel like a couple. They feel like an on-screen couple. Um, well, they are an on-screen couple, but they feel like a couple in real life because of the fact that they just play off each other so well. Maybe it's the writing, but I think more than anything, it is that chemistry and it doesn't surprise me that you see them later in La La Land doing their thing because they are just so fantastic together. Yeah. I love them. Well, man, I love this conversation. Uh, I love this movie and I love the fact that you gave it five stars because I do too. So put it in the trophy, trophy room. room. Woo! Yeah. All right. <laughs> if you guys want to keep the conversation going about this or anything else, you can contact me at shoeless patch. I'm at uh, Twitter and Instagram. S H O E L E S S P A T C H. I'm also on Facebook too. So be sure to look me up. I'm also in the Facebook group uh, here and there. And if you want to find out more about the show, if this is your first time checking us out, uh, welcome. You can check out more of the episodes, writing the things about movies and and all that good stuff at feelandfilm.com. Aaron, what about you? Where can people find you? Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all over the web at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. I'm also tweeting from the Feelin' Film Twitter account and then very active in our amazing film Facebook discussion group, which I just said backwards. Uh, please come join that. It's a great place where movie lovers of all types come together, cinephiles, blockbuster lovers, and talk about movies all day long throughout the week. Great conversation pieces happen and friendships are developed. So it, it's wonderful. Um, I'm really looking forward to this, this run we've got coming up here. I, I feel like everything we've been doing on the podcast has been something I'm excited about, which is a great feeling. <laughs> we, <laughs> we had a really awesome string of in-theater movies, and now we're going to pull away a bit from that and continue with some at-home picks. Um, and hopefully people will be able to definitely catch up with these. Next up is going to be our regular scheduled episode for the week. That's Warrior. Uh, Jason Kroll is one of our super donors from way back when, when we first started our patron account. And uh, he is a Patreon account, and he is going to be joining us to talk about one of his favorite movies and one that you and I both have a great affection for as well. Mm-hmm. So that should be a lot of fun. Also, just a quick note, you might have seen this in your feed, but uh, Billy Mitchell, the world record holder in Donkey Kong, simply had his records taken away <laughs> for cheating, <laughs> essentially. And uh, about a year ago, Patrick and our friend Francisco Ruiz of the Retro Rewind podcast got together and had a discussion about a documentary that tells Billy Mitchell's story. It's called The King of Kong, or as Patrick said recently, now we can think of it as uh, The King of Con. But <laughs> that episode was a part of our old show. We had a little sister project called Feel, Feel and Film Plus, that no longer exists. So what we did is we put this episode into the main feed so that you all had a chance to listen to it and enjoy it. The King of Kong is a wonderful documentary. Even knowing the history now, you can watch it and just see how much of a goofball Billy Mitchell was and kind of like shake your head at him the whole time knowing that he's lying. But 
it's worth a watch for sure. And this is a great conversation between those two. So hopefully you guys will check that out. All right, Aaron. Well, thank you again for being a part of the episode. Uh, Everyone listening, Aaron, always a pleasure to have this conversation with you and stay positive and keep feeling filmed.